Have you ever heard of Åland, the tiny cluster of islands on the border of Sweden and Finland? Over the years, activists, politicians, experts, NGOs, diplomats, and others working with conflicts in the world have flocked to this place. Why? To study peace. Nearly 100 years ago, an open conflict between Sweden and Finland was on the verge of breaking out. The two Nordic countries both claimed that the Åland Islands were theirs. The solution to the intense conflict is known today as the Åland Example, and it offers a unique approach to peaceful conflict resolution. The Åland Example has since inspired conflict resolution processes in a range of regions, such as Israel and Palestine, Northern Ireland, the Balkans, and some post-Soviet states. This episode is about the Nordic way to peace. What is the Olen example about? Why is it so appealing? And can we achieve a more peaceful world through this example? I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. A little later, you'll meet the head of the Åland Island Peace Institute. She'll give us her insights into the different ways to achieve peace and tell us about the unique historic example from Åland. You'll also meet two peace activists who have used the Åland example as a tool for trying to solve complex and long-lasting conflicts in the Middle East and the former Soviet Union. But first, let me take you back in time, almost a century ago, to the Åland Islands, and the conflict that is so fascinating because it didn't break out. Åland is an archipelago of more than 6,000 islands. Around 90% of Åland's 30,000 inhabitants speak Swedish as their first language. There haven't been any armed conflicts in the Nordics for the last 200 years, but in 1921, history could have taken a dramatic turn. When Finland became an independent state in 1917, a dispute emerged between Finland and Sweden concerning the islands located on the border of the two neighboring countries. The solution was that Åland should remain under Finnish sovereignty but be granted autonomy, preserving the Swedish language and culture of the islands. What makes the Åland example a unique case for successful conflict resolution is the combination of autonomy, minority protection, and demilitarization, and that the solution seems to be long-lasting. We use the term example in order to avoid the term model, because if if you talk about a model, then you assume that you have to take a whole package, and this package has to be introduced in some coherent sense at once. This is Impossible. It, in fact, it was impossible even in the Åland Islands. This is Sia Okermark. She's the director and head of research at the Åland Island Peace Institute. Sia is a former international lawyer and has published books and many articles on the topics of international law, human rights, as well as the rights of indigenous people and minority groups. So... What exactly is at the core of the Institute's approach to conflict resolution? You can imagine, for example, in the in, in the Orland case, there was this 
kind of a matrix of questions. There were issues of identity, the language, um, the cultural traditions. There were issues of power sharing and the political structures. And of course, there were issues of security and economic viability. In some other conflict, this matrix may look very different. It may be much more important with cross-border passing and uh, transnational trade, or it can be much more important with um, uh, issues of um, uh, natural resources. We are very poor in natural resources, so we didn't have that problem, but that problem is going to be in the matrix somewhere else. So um, the idea with with discussing uh, the issues of minorities, territorial autonomy and security is opening up for identifying the different issues that are relevant. And I think a clear kind of symbolic message is that uh, the Orland solution uh, was... Um, not really what would be described as a win-win situation, but rather everyone loses something um, situation, that lose-lose situation, a compromise with a tolerable balance of the price that has to be paid by all sides. All right, so the idea is that conflicts around the world could benefit from learning about the could-have-been Oland conflict. According to Sia, it's also useful to be a small organization located on an island far away from the conflict hotspots of the world when you want to contribute to solutions. So let's hear from the practitioners who have been inspired by the Olan example in their struggle for peace. One of the cases in which the Olan example has been used is a conflict over the Nagorno-Karabakh territory located in the former Soviet Union. This disputed territory has been the source of tension between Armenia and Azerbaijan for decades. Recently, the two sides clashed again. In our circumstances, um, uh, my lesson is the role of Russia. role of Russia that we and all world has uh, patient to, uh, um, to patient about this role. From one side, Russia is a mediator. Uh, in the Minsk group to solve uh, conflict. From another side, it is the main uh, seller of the weapon. So Russia should choose, and we have to bring this issue on higher level to discuss it. Why uh, more than 25 years Russia is playing uh, simultaneously two roles? The voice you've just heard belongs to Artsu Abdulayeva. She's the chairwoman of the Azerbaijan National Committee at the Helsinki Citizens' Assembly. The Assembly is an organization dedicated to ensuring peace, democracy, and human rights in Europe. For more than 20 years, Artsu has been deeply engaged in trying to settle the disputes over Nagorno-Karabakh. The Olin example is also being applied to the conflict surrounding the Kurdish minority in the Middle East. I have learned that how hard is it how peace can get criminalized by authoritarian states and how sometimes it's hard to only mention about it and you could find yourself dismissed, prisoned, uh, or you could find yourself as a refugee. Uh, So it's a very hard work, uh, a hard work that we should not uh, give up. 
This is Elchin Akhtaprak talking about her experiences working with the Kurdish issue. Elchin is a PhD from Turkey, previously associated with the University of Ankara as an assistant professor. Three years ago, she was fired for signing a petition to support the Kurdish minority. Today, Elchin is leading a big research project for the European Union. Elchin, Artsu, and Sia all participated in an online Nordic talk about peace, conflict resolution, and the Olen example. Following the points from Elchin and Artsu, Sia jumps in. Just to reflect first, uh, I, I think that the Elchin is speaking about uh, persistence and hard work, and, and Arsu is, is talking about cooperation and the role of great powers. And I, I think most of us would agree with, with these uh, conclusions to start with. Um, I thought that at a very general, at a very uh, basic level, I think what I have um, really seen and internalized is that every use of violence uh, leaves deep and lasting consequences that will have both personal implications as well as societal implications. And the, any any kind of violence that is perceived as violence, and such violence is very common against minorities. Okay, so according to Sia, the use of violence is a game changer. But what characterizes the conflicts that typically become violent? In the long run, we should remember that especially interstate violence, but also personal violence, has decreased. Yes, even though we we have all these horrible conflicts that we uh, follow every day and the specific conflicts that we are engaged in, each of us, uh, the overall trend is the condemnation of the use of violence in also interpersonal relations, as well as in um, interstate relations. You have these uh, particular uh, situations, especially um, regionalized, internationalized uh, regions, where you have such high stakes, high economic interests, high political prestige, and especially if it's coupled with authoritarian tendencies, then it is very easy to have a general framework um, where violence that is armed violence, because violence can be of very many different kinds, yes? So, um, but let's stick to this armed violence, where armed violence is used and presented as the only option. So what the, the very typical situation where armed violence is used is when all sides start agreeing that this is the only option. Uh, on the other hand, I think you have situations where violence is used from the weaker side, if we use that uh, description, because there is no other way to communicate but to use violence. Yes, so some of those groups that are termed as uh, terrorist um, and are blacklisted have no other seating in the discussions, have no other way to influence situations which affect very well their existential positions. 
In such a situation, the desperation is such that violence becomes the only voice channel. So, again, we fall back into this, the inclusion of voices and the inclusion of those that have stakes is crucial. Otherwise, the chance of violence is much harder. As Sia explains, certain dynamics are more likely to lead to violence. However, there are some telltale signs that a particular conflict may be harder to solve than others. First is that there are many conflicts which are perceived as really existential. They have to do with our identity in some sense, or they are couched in this. So they are understood as having to do with our right to, to exist. And when it becomes so existential, or it is presented in such an existential way, uh, then they, they, the stakes are very, very high. And that may, means that people um, have a more proposition towards using violence or tolerating violence. Uh, The other thing which uh, I came to think of is um, a metaphor which uh, shows that uh, very often we do not take chances seriously and we discard opportunities. I'm sure you can recognize the situation where you you hear about a book. I will not give the name of a book. I have many such examples. And you, everyone is talking about this book. And they know exactly what this book is supposed to mean and what the plot is about uh, and whether you should like it or not like it. When this happens to me, I I usually don't want to read the book because I have already from the beginning such a strong understanding whether this is good or bad, whether this is useful or not useful. So we discard opportunities or discard uh, possible solutions because we have from the beginning the idea that they are useless or useful but also because very often there are uh, hypocritical tendencies of showing up the good uh, side of wanting to solve a, a problem, a conflict, without necessarily being sincere about it. So we are talking about uh, the absence of a will to compromise and the absence of a, a will uh, to a committed dialogue. Earlier this year, the Åland Island Peace Institute published a report containing 25 case studies of how the Åland way of thinking has been used in conflicts around the world. And what's really interesting are the many different functions of Åland and the Åland example. Sometimes the Åland example is used to initiate a peace process or map a certain conflict. In other conflicts, the Olan example provides inspiration for designing new systems and institutions, while others travel to Oland in need of a safe and neutral meeting place. Finally, the Olan example can illustrate norms, values, and principles that are considered crucial for successful conflict resolution and as a tool for conflict transformation at an individual level. One of the cases in the report is Nagorno-Karabakh, the conflict that Artsu is trying to push in a more peaceful direction. 
To give you some background, Nagorno-Karabakh was once an autonomous region within the Azerbaijani Soviet Social Republic, and people living there are mainly ethnic Armenians. From the late 1980s until now, the situation surrounding Nagorno-Karabakh has evolved from the question of uniting the region with Armenia to the desire of independence. Today, separatists have turned the region into a de facto state. In the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, Oland has been a meeting place, and people from Oland have participated in both high-level conflict resolution processes and civil society efforts. All the elements of the Olan example have been discussed. For instance, demilitarization, autonomy, and the protection of minority culture and language. Arsu has experienced most of this firsthand. Olan example is the best uh, example for uh, Karabakh conflict uh, settlement. And uh, it was really uh, uh, right that people uh, had great interest uh, for Oland Island. Uh, we organized uh, not only meeting in uh, Oland Island, but uh, in our countries too. So, um, um, you know, I, I visited first time, I visited Oland Island in uh, 19... Uh, 93 uh, with my colleague, Armenian colleague, Anahid Bayandur, who uh, unfortunately is not with us. Uh, she died in 2011. Uh, uh, she was as a sister to me. And she and me, we were the propagandists of uh, Oland example for Karabakh. Now we continue our work we continue and um, we don't forget about Oland example. For us, it's the base, one of the most attractive uh, examples that we can use uh, for Karabakh conflict. Today, we work uh, on Karabakh model using as a basic uh, the uh, Oland uh, island. As Sia says, all conflicts are different. And some can more easily be addressed with inspiration from the Olan example. Here's Elchin talking about her experiences concerning the Kurdish minority in the Middle East. I could start from my experience uh, as an academic who gives lectures on conflict resolution and minority rights. I always use Aland um, as an uh, maybe um, Sia um, will get disappointed, but I always said an ideal case um, for a territorial autonomy because, you know, in Turkey we discussed about many different models of territorial and non-territorial autonomies. Not now, but we discussed it, discussed that uh, kind of uh, autonomy models. And while we were discussing it, of course, we used island model uh, because of its administrative system and because of the legal rights uh, educa- from education system to using the symbols like flags and stamps like Sia mentioned. In short, the conflict is an armed conflict between Turkey and various Kurdish insurgent groups who wish to separate from Turkey in order to create an independent Kurdistan. Autonomy and greater political and cultural rights for Kurdish people living in Turkey are other demands. According to Elchin, the peace process in the region has experienced significant setbacks over the last few years. 
This means that the parties involved are now primarily concerned with basic democratic rights like freedom to assemble and freedom of speech. In the Middle East, uh, Kurdish population are divided in four states, uh, Iran, Iraq, Syria and Turkey. And nearly in all of them, they have similar problems about their identity, survival, wellness. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, all these uh, issues in each state are deeply related with each other and with regional contexts and with global politics. Uh, so these all um, politics about war are still the issue here in Turkey uh, about the Kurdish issue. And because of that, even uh, we talk about different models, including Ireland in three years ago, now we are not able to talk about it under this situation. But I believe we will uh, go further uh, one day, maybe not in soon, but one day. And when that day comes, I believe we should uh, really consider Ireland model and other territorial models uh, for uh, the reconciliation in Turkey. On the Kurdish issue. Elchin then raises an interesting point. The Olin example managed to prevent a conflict from breaking out. But how applicable is the example when an armed conflict has already broken out? On paper, it's a great example, I think. I really liked it on the paper, but I don't know how it's successful in Rojava, for example, in Syria under the war conditions. And um, even if you like it or not, uh, there's an armed group there who offered this uh, situation. So behind the curtains, uh, their uh, power is much more different uh, than the ordinary people. So these are the maybe the critics that we could talk about here about that model too. But on the other hand, while they were uh, offering these territorial model, territorial and non-territorial, it's a kind of a mixed model autonomy. Uh, I believe they closely uh, looked at the uh, Ireland and the Basque and other issues, but the difference they you would like to underline is that they would like to build an autonomy uh, from um, bottom to top, not from top to bottom, uh, not uh, an autonomy given by a state, but taken by the people. I think the difference lies there. Um, uh, at least I understood the difference like that. Uh, maybe I could sum up like this. The difference between the island and the Kurdish minority in Turkey, there are too many states, too many actors, uh, more global powers who have interest in the region because of the oil, as uh, I also mentioned uh, about uh, oil politics. So all these makes it difficult to solve. We search for ideas and inspiration in places like Oland when conflict arises or when peace is already out of balance. But what can we actually do to prevent these events from occurring in the first place? How can we build a world with fewer conflicts? If you ask Elchin, it's key to have a more nuanced understanding of violence and to protect democratic values. We should not only talk about direct violence, but we should also talk about... uh, We should also consider the cultural and structural violence which creates the direct violence. So if we uh, not deal with that issues, we cannot reach a stable peace culture, I believe. So there must be a will from both parties or from all parties to reach that end, to reach that uh, stable peace. 
maybe for now I could summarize it uh, like this. Uh, because my experience in my country, it's very hard to see that uh, sincere will to reach that point. It also needs a, uh, another uh, situation, uh, a democracy. Uh, because in Turkey, for example, I know that there are so many civil uh, organizations who would really like to be part of peace processes once more, once again. But I could, I could also define myself as part of them. Now I'm working for a human rights association, so uh, I can, I think, easily say that. So we, but we are under very high pressure. So uh, leaders of civil society, leaders of political parties are in prison. Uh, even when you mention peace, let's forget about minority rights, okay? Even if you say something about peace, or even if you say, let's say, talk about freedom of expression, uh, you could easily be criminalized and you could find yourself jobless or in prison, as I mentioned when I begin to my words. So I think a democracy is also an, another um, must for all of us. And for Sia, it's all about remembering the color of peace. I think the very first step in this culture of peace is uh, really to start listening and trying to understand what the other side is really talking about. Uh, because um, especially uh, in conflicts uh, which are long-lasting, and Arsu can perhaps jump in uh, and, and talk more about this really long, long-term long problem, uh, the parties think that they know each other completely from the very beginning. So they throw away again the book before even opening it, while the expectations and life experiences of people, but also the world around us through digitalization, through the ecological collapse, through uh, the, the falling prices of oil. I mean, there are all kinds of factors that can influence. So, so to listen and to understand that the other side has legitimate concerns and that there is usually a way of not describing everything as black and white. So I would say that the color of, of peace culture is gray. So what if we could gaze into the crystal ball of the future? Would we see more or fewer conflicts in the years to come? Should we be optimistic or pessimistic? And what can we do to enable a more peaceful world? We are in a very difficult general atmosphere. Um, and we have authoritarian trends and we have militarization. Elchin spoke of the first and Arthur spoke of the, the second. So this is a fact. And then we need to cope with this problem. So there is no other thing than work and cooperation the way we started. Uh, it's neither pessimistic nor optimistic. It's the human condition. When you have a big problem and it is an existential threat, then we have to cope with it. Uh, because uh, you started by mentioning the um, uh, uh, sustainable development goals. And of course, at a time of ecological collapse, 
just the the mere idea of further wars is such a burden that we should not even consider tolerating it. Uh, and at the personal level, I think there are two very uh, important and crucial things to do. And, uh, and I discuss it a lot with my children and also with my colleagues all the time and all the partners. First is that there need to be places and uh, meeting points where you listen to others who have different views than your own. Because people get into bubbles and they are brainwashed and then there is this idea that there is only one way of doing things. This is the one thing, creating meeting points and listening to others with different opinions. And the second thing is to be critical in our search for information. And there is a lot uh, of discussion and I think that Conflict is more media sexy than very boring discussions, years and years and meetings, yes? So conflict is appealing because it is so immediate. And we need to search information from many different sources in order not to throw away the book before we have even opened it. Artsu is thinking along different lines and points to the digital warriors stimulating or even creating conflicts. My name Arzu. <laughs> it means in Azeri Turkish, uh, dream or desire. So I can dream, I can desire <laughs> about uh, peace. Uh, situation is not very good, uh, unfortunately. Uh, our um, experts predict uh, new escalation. Um, but if, uh, unfortunately, but we are doing our um, best uh, to pre- uh, prevent it. And I have to say that, um, yeah, we are modest people, but I have to say that several times in during our conflict and conflict in um, South Caucasus, in Georgia, uh, Ossetia and Abkhazian, it was possible to prevent uh, four conflicts for escalations it was possible by civil society so that's why i expect but sure that we need um and you you help to you say podcast yeah social media for peace i think you have to face against the trolls who are making the war for long term i'm optimist because i know that this will end and we are not a few people who are searching for good we are more than uh, we know, I believe that, in, in, in the world and in our countries. So I believe that uh, we will reach uh, a peace, uh, what, the peace that we desire in Monday. And for that day comes, uh, till that day comes, we will um, fight for it. Uh, maybe fight is not the right word while we are talking about peace, but we will put our effort, effort uh, to reach that end. I mean, I agree with Sia that... Uh, thinking critically and multidimensionally, it it, it will contribute to our uh, efforts for reaching peace, I believe. In my experience, for example, um, what we do, there was a, a civil war uh, in the Kurdish regions in 2015 and 2016. As academics, we signed 
uh, a petition and say that we will not be part of this crime. While I was signing that petition, I thought that what we are doing, we are, we are only signing uh, some petitions and what we, could, we are not able to change anything. But then we understand that it really not really affected the situation. We could not prevent anything. But at least we realized that um, we disturbed uh, the power, okay? Maybe I got dismissed from my job. Okay, these were not good um, experiences maybe. But at the end, I still uh, trying to put effort for peace. I still trying to do what I do. Uh, and I, I know that I'm not alone. I'm doing, doing it with my other colleagues and human rights defenders. So we are not alone. I'm pretty sure that Elchin isn't alone in her fight for peace. And that's important. Although incidents of armed violence are decreasing worldwide, we're heading into an uncertain future of climate change, economic crises, and the overuse of natural resources, all of which risk creating new wars and conflicts. Today, most people associate the Nordic region with peace, but a century ago, it could have easily gone the other way. My hope is that in the future, fewer people will throw away the book before even opening it. And if they do, they should travel to the Olan Islands and find another one, turn the pages, and study the Nordic way to peace before it's too late. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. <laughs>